0: Hey, Lake Avenue Church, it's time we had a family chat. Uh, You know, my dad used to call us to the table, the kitchen table. And he used to ask, well, he never really asked me to sit down, but we were always sitting. He'd sit down and have a conversation, more like an interrogation, usually occur with me. He was kind about it, but these interrogations usually started with, why did you do that? Whatever that was to your sister. It was often. My response in these moments was well thought through, was confident, was expressive, and kind of went like this. Well, she started it. Most days it ended like this, boy, you got to do better. We look back at those moments now and we laugh. We joke about them around our table now and they're fun, mostly because I have learned to do better. As a church, we're in a series that is just that. A series of family chats designed to remind us of who we are supposed to be to each other and for the sake of the gospel. This unexpected family that is Lake Avenue Church is a fantastic, adoptive, gospel-centered community that is multi-ethnic and intergenerational. But we are not perfect. We're not even close. And there are people that have been hurt by this church along the way. And we try to lift up the name of Jesus and do the work of Jesus. We've gotta do better. Why do I say all that? We're in the book of Colossians today and that is what Paul is trying to express to the church there. Lake Avenue Church is really tied to the book of Colossians because that's where we find our vision presenting each one complete in Christ. It comes out of Colossians 1, 28 and 29. It is a process of getting right with God and following through on becoming his sons and daughters. Our scripture this morning is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 14. The invitation is for you to stand where you are. Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have, has, has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You may be seated. Spirit of the living God, you have given us these words. These words from Paul, the church in Colossae. God, and I pray that in your mercy and grace, these words would come alive in our experience like never before. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Paul is sending this letter to this church while he's in jail, and it's most likely that he never visited the Colossian church. Paul is encouraging and supporting a man named Epaphras who was from Colossae and came to faith in Jesus through Paul's ministry. Epaphras is assumed to have taken the gospel of Jesus back to Colossians and started the church there. The reason Paul is writing has much to do with the philosophical, mystical, and Gnostic ideals that have surrounded that community and others in the area and were a threat to the gospel. The threat to the gospel was less about the church rejecting Jesus and more about their reality of saying Jesus and mysticism, Jesus and philosophy, Jesus and Gnosticism. said that word again, Gnosticism. It was a religious movement in which illumination and the acquisition of higher knowledge of the things divine, was paramount. It was an exclusive one as well, meaning only a few people were able to access this knowledge. This is going to become important later. Paul's letter to the Colossians is important for us in this series because of the fact that it calls us to an important trait of being family together, while at the same time calling us away from the Jesus and reality. Before we get to chapter 3, Paul, is, Paul finishes a section that, that called the, the church to an understanding of what they did when they received Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 6 says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. It is this double reality of life with Christ that Paul is trying to get at. One, we receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus as Lord. That is our salvation. And two, we now must live in him. That is our continued sanctification. That is the whole of the gospel. It's a clear statement about our vision as a family, about what we continue to do in this place. It's a clear statement as well that we are not there yet to present each one complete in Christ. That you would know and receive Jesus and live your life in a way that Jesus lived and taught and encouraged. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul moves from that chapter to talk about the vision he has for this family. The family rules as it were. Church, we need to have a talk. Paul repeats himself here. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. He is reminding us of the gospel and addressing the the mystic Gnosticism at the same time. Set your hearts and minds on the things above. This directive is a reminder that our interests now must fall in line with the interests of Jesus. So much so that you have to remember that you died in relation to the old way of doing things. That old pre-Jesus life is now hidden with God, just like Greg's saying I have to ask the question, is your life hidden with God or do you just keep playing hide and seek? Church, we have to have a talk. Paul goes on to write some very specific things around sex and sexuality that are connected to the mysticism and the philosophy and Gnosticism that I stated earlier. Those are another sermon for another time. We pick up in verse 8. Rid yourselves of these five things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. Literally take them from you. Remove them from your person because they are really bad for making our family what it is supposed to be. Bad at making our community what it is supposed to be. Bad at making our country what it could be. Paul goes on to say that since you've taken off the old practices and put on the new self, verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Let me say that again. Verse 10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King writes that we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And in order for us to be family that we are supposed to be, we need to remember all the things that we have been being taught in this series and put them into practice. We need to put on the trait of newness. As you build your life, you need a foundation that evil enemies cannot tear down. Fires cannot burn down. Earthquakes cannot shake down. Windstorms cannot blow down. And might I add, deadly virus or racism cannot break down. Jesus says that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that he is the foundation that you need to build your life upon. We need to put on the trait of love the self-sacrificing love of Jesus that shows up in the self-sacrificing love we should have for one another to seek solutions and unity over blame and division. The trait of cherishing, God calls us to, to cherish one another. First, as a young child, laying aside any claim to power. Second, as a nursing mother sacrificing her own body for the sake of the other, and third, as a father, urging one another to bear the traits of the king. The trait of action. The trait of action is found when we look long enough with compassion to see the need of the other that becomes more significant than our needs, and we physically move sacrificially give and are willing to do what we can to address other people's needs. Verse 10 invites you and I to the trait of renewal. And no, we are not just repeating the first trait. Renewal is our need to be renovated, to be improved, revised, remolded, reformed again and again into the likeness of Jesus. Our lives as Christians are continually under construction so that we are renewed over time into the image of God. We need to continually put an end to our corrupt state and establish new beginnings through the power of the Holy Spirit that are qualitatively better than the past. In home construction, if you wanted a new bathroom, It won't matter how pretty your bathroom fixtures are or the the tile is. Because if your pipes are corroding and don't work, you've got to get new pipes. In our faith construction, our renewal requires removing the corrosion that accumulates in our hearts. The trials and the monotony of life tend to corrode and rust our hearts and require us to allow the Holy Spirit to have access to us so that we might be renewed. As David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Church, we need to have a talk. Paul goes on to say that we need to be renewed in the knowledge. We need to be renewed in knowledge. The word for knowledge in the Greek is gnosis. It is the root word of gnostic or gnosticism. I told you it would come back. But why would Paul use this term if he's speaking against Gnosticism? Paul is really trying to tell the Colossian church to go deeper, and he actually uses a different term here. He uses the term epignosis, a term whose definition means knowledge, which implies a special participation in the thing known. It's like playing with Star Wars figures as opposed to just leaving them in the box so that they gather value. It's like driving a car instead of just sitting in the passenger seat. It's like learning your grandmother's recipe as opposed to just eating the food. In this instance for Paul, for the Colossians and us, that thing known is the image of God the creator. We are being called in verse 10 to renew our participation as image bearers of God. Which means we need to participate in reflecting God's love and care and stewardship of the world so that the world may praise God, not us. This is the reality of having our hearts and minds set on the things above. As Jesus prayed Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Church, we need to have a talk. When you and I reflect the uncorroded image of God, we can fulfill verse 11, which says, Here, there is no Gentile or Jew. "...circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all." This is the power of gospel that we have seen in Acts, that Paul talks about in Galatians, that we have seen here in Colossians, that Matthew lifts up in the genealogy of Jesus. This is also the power of the multi-ethnic, multicultural, intergenerational church that we are and can be. We are to exhibit love and care that is unique and unifying. When we all come together and care for and about each other, it is a sight that the world would be amazed at. But we haven't done that yet. Paul goes further. Paul goes further and raises the bar yet again, and he says, Christ is all and is in all. Christ is all. And in all. When we reflect the image of God, we do so without division between peoples, but with our distinct ethnicities and cultures intact. Jesus breaks down the divisions between us, but leaves the distinctions in place time and time again Jesus said things like let the little children come to me while his disciples protested that the children were not important Jesus stopped on the road for a man that was yelling son of David have mercy on me while the disciples were telling the man to shut up because the blind beggars are not important Jesus invited himself to a tax collector's house for dinner while the crowd was saddened and confused because that man had been a cruel thief. And Jesus made a sinner important. Jesus spoke with a woman at the well in a city that he did not have to go to. to While his disciples were complaining about going there, his actions, his words allowed her to know that she and her people were mattered to God. Instead of telling a story about his own actions to the world, Jesus told a story about a Samaritan to a lawyer trying to trap him. In the process, he redefines what it means to be a neighbor and says, go and do likewise. Jesus says, children matter. Jesus says, the lame matter. Sinners matter. Women matter. Samaritans matter. Black lives matter. Church, we need to have a talk. on his way to give his life for the world. Jesus proved that he loved everyone by making specific people matter. Now it's our turn. When we stop criticizing Jesus for where he's going and follow him, we will find ourselves renewed in knowledge in the image of God. This image of God requires that others are loved, cared for, and fulfilled by the Spirit of God and the church. If our divided world was confronted with this image of God, it would be more persuasive than all the preaching, the teaching, the books, and podcasts combined. Jesus is asking you and I to follow him down the road are you willing to stay on this road? Set your life aside for the sake of the ones who are hurting or do you just want to get back to the way things were? Church, we need to have a talk because if we want revival, we have to participate. We can't just wait for the miracle that we think of when we talk about revival. We've gotta put ourselves on the line. And if you're willing to follow Jesus, God is asking us to put off old things. The things before, the rage, the anger, the malice, the slander, the filthy language, and put on Literally, clothe yourself in compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here's what that means. One, we need to humble ourselves. Which means the church needs to humble itself. We need to repent for the ways that we have displayed power instead of love for the ways that we've turned a blind eye to violence in the name of holiness. The ways that we have supported structures of racism, classism, and cultural hegemony, to name a few. But that requires some significant introspection and allowing God to have access to us. I had a conversation with some friends this week and we started talking about the fact that that some of us don't wanna look at the things that that are really hard for us. There's a mirror being shown in our community right now, and that's the mirror that's showing racism. I said that he needed to allow Jesus to take him to the basement of his heart so that he could see what was there. Regardless of how dark, how scary, how difficult it was, he needed to remember it was Jesus was the one that wanted to make that basement a place for him to be. Two, we need to ask better questions. Last week, my wife spoke out against injustice and racism on Facebook. And amazingly, she was met with criticism. I don't, I don't know how that works. These questions are a part of her thoughtful response. She said this, When we win... We recognize it is not either or, it is not us and them, it is both and. We win when our hunger for justice is greater than our thirst to judge. We win when our compassion becomes greater than our criticism compassion starts with listening. Are we willing to hear each other? Are we willing to be vulnerable so that we can be heard? Are we willing to sit at the same table and share a meal or would we rather hurl accusations on the internet? She says, I certainly do not have the, all of the answers, but I do know some of the questions we can be asking. She said, until repla- we replace, how could you vote for him or her with Tell me what you care about. We will stay in a place of criticism. Folks, that question shows gentleness. She said, until we replace All Lives Matter with tell me about your struggle, we will not know empathy. That question shows compassion. Until we replace, she is just a insert your assumption there. And he is a insert your stereotype there with what is your story? We will stay in a place of judgment. That question shows humility. Until we replace your march doesn't represent me with what are you afraid of? We will stand apart. That shows kindness to ask what are you afraid of. She goes on to say, ask the questions, be open to the answers, even those that make you uncomfortable, especially those that make you uncomfortable. It is only in this genuine place of discomfort we can begin to understand those who differ from us. And when we do that, that shows patience. I don't think she knew when she was writing this that she was saying what Paul was talking about. She goes on to say, are you bold enough to break the silence? Are you brave enough to ask? Are you humble enough to listen? Are you willing to let compassion change you? Or will you cling to your criticism? Love wins when our compassion becomes greater than our criticism. Let love win. You have to replace your assumptions with questions because renewal and renovation will begin to take place when you ask the questions and seek God's heart. Third, we have to forgive. And I gotta tell you, when that was the first part of the sermon that I thought about initially, I really struggled. And as some of you know, that that was supposed to be the whole of what we were supposed to preach today. And my struggle was because of this. Forgiveness has been used as a blunt stick in its intention and its application on oppressed people and injured persons for centuries. Forgiveness has been used as a get out of jail free card to use to suppress justice. It is not that. Forgiveness should not be requested by the offending party because it puts the offender in a place of power once again. Offenders repent and apologize, but do not get to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift that brings right relationships. It can never be the first thing expected but part of a process that clears the way for renewed, renovated relationship that is qualitatively different, qualitatively better than it was before. If renewal means restoring what was, then it is not true forgiveness. Forgiveness pays the way for reconciliation so that something new might emerge Are you willing for something new to emerge in Lake Avenue Church? Are you willing for something new to emerge in you? Are you willing for something new to emerge in our country? Something new can be us. I was on the phone with my parents last week. and They said, with the space launch, Racial protests. And the bodies, the body bags. This feels like 1968. Y'all, that was 52 years ago. I don't think I'm gonna make it to 2072. I'd be 100. But I know this, I don't wanna be on the phone with my daughter or God willing my grandchildren in 2050 and say, wow, this feels like 2020. I want us to be different as believers, and be different as Lake Avenue Church, as Pasadena, as California, as the United States, as the world, for God so loved the world. Y'all, I have great hope in this moment. I really do. I am hopeful for change because of what I've been hearing from friends and family, the support, the desire for change because of how God has loved and who God is in us is the most significant thing that can help us change. I hope that you have been moved by the Holy Spirit. I hope we all have heard what God is trying to say in this this moment to us as Lake Avenue Church. I hope that we stay on this road together and that we allow the Holy Spirit to continue to access our hearts that we might be changed. Because church, we gotta do better. Good talk.